Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join student and worship pastor Will Price for the message, The War of Freedom. Well, first of all, happy Independence Day weekend. I'm sure the uh, steaks are marinating in the refrigerator and the fireworks are ready to get shot off. And, you know, the reason why we're celebrating this weekend is because on July the 4th, 1776, our country made a declaration of independence. And the Declaration of Independence was a declaration of freedom from the British Empire. It was a declaration that the 13 American colonies were a new nation. Now, typically when I think about freedom, I also think about peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that freedom and peace are, in a lot of ways, synonymous with one another. And what's interesting to me is that our country's declaration of freedom and independence did not actually result in peace, which is the absence of war, but instead it resulted in more wars. Now, fast forward to the year 2002 when I made a similar declaration to our country's declaration of independence, except my declaration was a declaration of salvation. Okay, it's the year that I decided that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. It was a declaration of freedom from the power and the presence of sin in my life. And it was a declaration that I am a new creation. If you've made that declaration, would you just say amen? amen. I thank Jesus for that freedom that we have in him. But you know, as I think about my declaration of freedom and salvation, even though it may have resulted in peace with God, I can tell you that it's definitely also resulted in war with Satan. And the point I'm trying to make is that freedom comes at a price. Freedom is not something that is necessarily attained. Freedom is something that we have to fight for until the day we die. You see, if our country wants to maintain a sense of freedom, then we're going to have to fight for it. And if we're going to fight for our freedom, we need strong leaders and a strong military. And in the same way, if you and I want to maintain a sense of freedom in our walk with the Lord, then we're going to have to fight for it. And if we're going to fight for it, we need the strong leadership of God, our commander-in-chief, and we need the armor of God. Now, I'm sure you've heard it said before, but I want to say it again because I want to make sure we never forget that the Christian life is not a playground, but it is a battleground. And if you've made a declaration of salvation in your life, Welcome to the war of freedom. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul tells us that if we're going to be ready for the battleground of this war of freedom, then we need to put on the whole armor of God. He says we need to put on the armor. Why? So that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen, if you're a Christian, you may be at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you need to know this morning that you are at war with your adversary, the devil. The war of freedom has now begun. And as we're going to discover today, there are many battles that you and I are going to have to fight. There are many battles that are going to have to be won. Today we're going to discover that there's a battle for truth in our lives. We're going to discover that there's a battle for peace. Today we're going to discover that there's a battle for right living in our lives. Not only that, but we're going to discover that there's a battle for the presence and the power of God in our lives through bold faith. And through Bible-based wisdom. Today we're going to discover that there's a battle in our minds for our assurance of salvation. Folks, we are at war. The question is, are you ready for this war? Are you ready for these battles that must be won? Do you have what it takes to stand? 
Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you've saved me. Thank you that I had the opportunity to make a declaration of salvation. But God, today I know that my declaration did not result in peace completely because I'm at war with Satan. God, many of us in this room share that truth about our lives. And we pray today, God, that as we dive into your word, that you would just give us wisdom that we can apply to our lives that will help us on our journey of faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 13, Paul tells us to take up the armor of God. You ever wondered why the Apostle Paul uses the example of armor? I know I have, and, and so I, I, I studied it a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and what I found is that when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was actually in prison, chained to a Roman soldier. And so scholars believe that it was in that moment as Paul looked at this Roman soldier with his armor on, that God gave him this beautiful picture of the kind of armor that we need in order to be a good soldier in the Lord's army. In verse 14, he starts out with saying, having girded your waist with truth. And so he starts with a belt of truth. Why in the world does he start describing spiritual warfare armor with a belt? Like of all things, a belt, right? And over the last three weeks, I've been eating clean and making healthy choices, and I've lost quite a bit of weight. And so my jeans don't fit like they used to, and so i got to put a belt on to hold my pants up. So there's some good uses for a belt, but why a belt when we're talking about the armor of God? Well, what you need to know is that a belt was critical for the Roman soldier. And the reason it was critical is because the belt is what held the sheath. And so if a soldier wanted to carry a sword, he had to have a sheath. And if he had a sheath, he had to have a belt to hold that sheath. And not only that, but his belt would hold pieces of armor that would drape down in front of the soldier uh, to protect his lower body. And for a male Roman soldier, it was much needed. Amen, guys? But what you need to know about this belt is that the belt of truth should cling to us like a belt clings to our body. The belt of truth should cling to us as believers like a belt clings to your body. But here's the thing about truth. I don't believe that truth is encouraged in our world. Friends, we live in a culture of lies. In fact, I believe that many of us are encouraged to lie in order to get ahead. And so whether it's socially or academically or uh, uh, financially, we're, we're, we're encouraged or, or told that it's okay to stretch the truth in order to enlarge our status. And so some people will lie on their taxes to get out of paying in or maybe to get a little more extra bucks um, on their return. Some people will cheat on tests in order to make good grades so they can get ahead academically. Some people will pretend to be someone they're not on social media so that people will like them more. Folks, we we are in a battle for truth. What's interesting is that God's word says, thou shalt not lie. So God is like the father of truth, and that's what he wants for our lives. But then on the other hand, The Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And if he had a scripture, it would say, thou shalt lie. You see, Satan wants you to be dishonest. Satan wants you to lack integrity. Why? Because he knows that if he can cause you to fail in the area of truth, then people won't trust you. And listen to me. If people can't trust you, then you will become ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's the battle for truth in our lives. And so Paul says, take up the belt of truth in order to be able to stand. Now, now, now why truth? Why truth? You know, a thought that I had last week was this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. 
But did you know that truth builds in us what Satan would love to make a mockery out of us? Think about this. Truth builds character in our lives. And so being a truthful person is going to build character in your life. And Proverbs 10.9 tells us that whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And so this verse in a lot of ways is about um, what people think about you. And if I could just talk about that for a minute, I, what I want you to know is that, you know, we all have a reputation. And, and our reputation is built on, in a lot of ways, what we, what we project in public. Okay, but what, what I want you to understand is that there's a huge difference between reputation and character. Okay, reputation is what, what you project around people, and it's then what they think about what you're projecting. But character is who you really are, not what you might be projecting. And what I know is that, you know, we can pretend to be honest to our friends and to our coworkers and, and to our family, but man, who we really are, that is our character. And did you know Satan would love to make a mockery out of your character? Sadly, I think a lot of Christians struggle with honesty. And Satan would love to make a mockery out of their character. And so whether it's for financial or academic or social gain, you know, some of you are just simply not being honest. And what I want you to know this morning is that if you're not careful, Satan's going to use dishonesty in your life to make a mockery out of your character. And as a result, you're going to lose your ability to be an influencer in the kingdom of God. That's the battle we face, folks. And that's why we need the belt of truth in our lives. Because it builds character. And people of character are influencers in the kingdom of God. And you know what else? Not only does truth build character in our lives, but it also builds spiritual depth. Truth builds spiritual depth. Ephesians 4.15 says it this way. It says, instead... We hold to the truth in love. We hold to the what? The truth. And then listen to the effect. We become more and more in every way like Christ. You know, one of the biggest questions I hear as a pastor is this. Pastor, how can I grow? I want to go deeper in my walk with Christ. How can I be more like him? Well, the answer is right there in Ephesians 4.15. Hold to the truth in love, and then you will become more and more like Christ in every way. And so the encouragement is very simple here. Then be an honest person. It builds spiritual depth. And get this, a spiritually deep person is effective for the kingdom of God. I'm afraid that some of you have some very shallow Christian testimony because there's dishonesty in your life. And you need to know this morning that Satan is going to use that dishonesty to make a mockery out of your walk with the Lord. Listen, if you want to go deep spiritually and be effective for the kingdom, hold to the truth. Be a person of honesty. Maybe you're here today, and you say, you know what, Pastor? When it comes to truth, you're right. When it comes to being honest, you're talking about me. I, I, you know what? I feel like I've lost my bearings when it comes to truth. I feel like I've been being dishonest, and, and I just don't feel like I'm as effective as I, as I could be in the kingdom of God. Pastor, what do I do? If that's you this morning, here's what I would say. I would say that you need to start by evaluating the truth in your life. And so if you're taking notes, would you write that down? Evaluate the truth in your life. Take some time to ask yourself, am I honest? Is there truth in my relationships? Is there honesty in the choices that I'm making and in the statuses that I'm updating? More specifically, do I gossip when I'm around my friends? That's a form of lying. Do I exaggerate 
to try to make myself look better. That's a form of dishonesty. Folks, evaluate truth in your life. And then I would tell you this. Be intentional about being honest. Be intentional about being honest. In other words, be deliberate about every decision, every answer, every choice, every conversation, every text message, every status update, whatever it is. Man, be intentional about being honest. And here's an incredible truth I want to share with you if you'll go after honesty in your life and take up this belt of truth. First Chronicles 29:17. I love this. It says, God rejoices when he finds integrity in our lives. Let me tell you something. Satan rejoices when he finds a lack of integrity. But God rejoices when he finds integrity. I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I want God to look down on me and to have joy. The question is, who do you want to please? Think about it. Paul goes on to say that not only do we need to take up the belt of truth, but that we need the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, for a Roman soldier, the breastplate was worn to protect his vital organs, such as the heart and the lungs and the intestines. Now, what's interesting is that in Jewish culture, the heart would have represented the mind and the will of a person, while the bowels or the intestines would have represented the emotions and the feelings of a person. Now, I think this goes without saying, but, man, the mind and the emotions are definitely a battleground for believers. I mean, Satan loves to attack us there. Satan loves it when we think bad thoughts and when we have wrong emotions. Satan loves it when we trade righteous thinking and positive feelings for things like jealousy and hatred and envy. And so Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And really what I want you to see this morning is that righteousness or right living is, in fact, the breastplate. Do you follow me? Okay, and maybe you're here today and you don't feel right because you hadn't been living right. Maybe you're here today and, and it's affecting your thinking. Maybe you're here today and you've been getting emotional and, uh, and, and, and uneasy and unhealthy and maybe unhelpful and ungodly way. Well, today I want to teach you about righteousness and how big it is in your life. Okay, here's what you need to know about righteousness. And by the way, um, we're diving in here, okay? And so you need to put your seatbelt on. Everybody, please listen because this is probably the most important part of my teaching next to the helmet of salvation. Man, this stuff is good. But here's what you need to know about righteousness. As a believer, Christ has imputed his righteousness on you, and he has also imparted his righteousness in you. Okay? Now let me explain what this means, because this, this is a huge, huge concept and truth in the word of God. Okay, you ready? Okay, so Jesus is righteous. And by the way, righteousness is defined as moral perfection. Okay, and Jesus alone can claim moral perfection. Amen. But get this. When we put our trust in Jesus for salvation, his righteousness is imputed on us. In other words, Christ's righteousness is given to us free of charge without any effort on our part. That's what Christ did when he lived a perfect, righteous life and died our, died for our imperfect, unrighteous lives. And so when we put our trust in him, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Okay, and so the whole point of this imputed righteousness thing is that Christ's righteousness imputed on us makes us right in the eyes of God. Some call this positional righteousness, and so I can stand today as a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, that when God looks down on me, he sees righteousness, and I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful this morning? Oh, but it gets better, because then there's this thing called imparted righteousness, which says this, that not only are you righteous in the sight of God, 
But now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, guess what? You can live righteously. Some call this practical righteousness or day-to-day living. But let me tell you something. It's good. It's good, man, that God would put his spirit inside of us so that we can live righteously. And that's what Paul's talking about when he calls out the breastplate of righteousness. Listen to this verse. I love this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And by the way, I'm quoting from the message translation of the Bible. It's not something I would recommend for your day-to-day study, but I really love the way that it translates this verse. Listen to this. This is so good. It says, nothing between us and God. Okay, right? The veil has been torn. We're in a relationship with God. There's nothing between us. And get this, our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. Wow. Because of Jesus' righteousness and his sacrifice on the cross, Not only are we right in the eyes of God, but more than that, we've entered into this process of sanctification where we're becoming more and more like him, which is possible because we have the power of God living inside of us to live right day to day. Somebody say hallelujah because that is worth it. Come on. Here's my encouragement to you. Take up the breastplate of righteousness and stop living defeated sinful lives. Be holy, for he is holy. Take your thoughts captive to the Lord. Listen, Christ's righteousness has been imputed on you and imparted in you. And so because of that, you've got what it takes to win in the area of personal holiness. Are you going to be perfect? No. But now that you know more about this righteousness that you have in your life, maybe you could do better. And doesn't God deserve better? Come on. Doesn't he deserve better? So take up the breastplate of righteousness. Paul goes on and he says, we need to get the shoes of peace. The shoes of peace. You know, it's interesting that Paul goes for the feet. You have all things to protect, right? Like I get protecting the heart, I get protecting the head, but man, the feet, why cover the feet? Other than uh, athlete's foot or your feet stinking. Like what's with the feet, right? Then I thought, imagine a Roman soldier with all of his armor, his helmet, his shield, his breastplate, the sword, and then bare feet. Okay, let me tell you something. Unless he's fighting a battle on a well-manicured golf course, I'm pretty sure he's going to run into some rough terrain that he's going to need to walk over, right? Rough terrain's not good for the feet. My kids run around outside all the time, and they'll come in with you know, scrapes and cuts on their feet because, you know, the, the ground is, is, is tough to walk on a lot of times. And so we need shoes. And so here's the thing. I, I think what Paul is trying to teach us is that when it comes to the spiritual realm and to the spiritual battle and this war of freedom, that sometimes life brings about some pretty rough terrain. Rough terrain that likes to rob us of peace in our lives. And so if we want to be able to stand strong in the midst of those rough spots in life, then we need the peace that comes from the gospel. Here's what I know. I know that if you and I were to sit down and have a cup of coffee, and here's my invitation to every one of you to do that, I'd love to do that. But if we sat down and we had coffee and I asked you, hey, do you want peace in your life? I don't think there's a person in the room that would say, no, I'd rather have chaos. Okay, we all want peace in our lives. But sadly, my observation is that many of us aren't experiencing peace. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because life is hard. Some of us are stressed out. Some of us have relational conflict going on in our lives. And maybe one of the biggest things is that sometimes our own worst enemy of peace is ourselves. Right? We got past mistakes we're not proud of. We got current mistakes that bother us. Maybe we're a little bit uncertain about our future and where our life is headed. And so man, we need the gospel of peace in our lives. And what I want you to see this morning is that 
the peace that comes from the gospel is going to help you stand firm. And so here's what you need to know about the peace that comes from the gospel. If you're taking notes, write this down. Listen, as a child of God, you have peace with God. You have peace with the creator of all things. You have peace with the sustainer of life. You have peace with God, Jehovah God. You have peace with him. And Colossians 1.20 says it. It says, by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of the blood on the cross. And so I love this equation here that God gave me, and that is that Jesus' death on the cross plus our faith in him equals peace with God. It's so simple. It's like one plus one equals two. It's so simple. John MacArthur said, when our feet are shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace, we stand in confidence of God's love for us, his union with us, and his commitment to fight for us. Listen, I know that life may not have turned out the way that you hoped that it would, but you need to know today that God's for you and that he's not against you. You need to know today that as a child of God, all things are working out for good in your life because you love him. Yeah, life may be hard for you right now. Yeah, you may have made some mistakes. Yeah, the future, man, who knows what's going to happen. But guess what? You're a child of God, and you have a hope and a future that can never be taken away from you. And so find peace in that truth this morning. Are you struggling with that? Have life's circumstances robbed you of peace? Have you lost your bearings when it comes to peace? Can I just tell you an incredible truth this morning? You need to know that a lack of peace is coming from a circumstantial perspective. But a sense of peace comes from an eternal perspective. Listen to this. This is so good. A Roman soldier would put shoes on. And those shoes were foundational for him in battle. You see, his shoes would allow him to take each step that was put in front of him without any worry. The last thing a soldier needed to do was to worry about what he was stepping on. Listen to me. Good shoes allowed a soldier to keep his head up as he was traveling over rough terrain. And can I just tell you this morning, the good shoes of the gospel of peace are going to help you keep your head up as you go through the rough spots in life. Come on, get your head up, soldier. I'm telling you, your circumstances right now may, may not feel like solid ground but your eternal circumstances can't be taken away from you and they can't be shaken. And so find peace in that hope that we get from the gospel. And I can't help but think about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to put the verse up. Moses was going through some pretty rough circumstances. He was under quite a bit of trial. I just want you to focus on the last part of that verse. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of going through some rough spots in his life, at the very end of the verse, it tells us that he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You see, he didn't have a circumstantial perspective. He had an eternal perspective. He looked to the reward. And so Moses found peace in the midst of his circumstances because his perspective was eternal. We need to get an eternal perspective. And if that doesn't help you find peace, I don't know what will. Paul goes on and he tells us that we need to take up the shield of faith. If you were to define faith or look it up, you'd find that it's believing in what you can't see. Okay, some of you like to go to the Pay Beach in Fort Pierce and so... You get in your automobile and you go over the North Bridge and 
In a lot of ways, you go over that bridge because you have faith that it will support your automobile. Others of you in the room, you're frequent flyers, and so you trust and have faith in your airline to get you to your destination and back safely. And then there's our faith in God. And by the way, the word faith here that the Apostle Paul uses is not referring to um, our set of Christian beliefs. Um, It's actually referring to our basic trust in God, okay? And what you need to know this morning is that a lot of times it's our basic trust in God where Satan wants to attack us. And so Paul says that Satan will shoot these fiery arrows at us when it comes to our faith. When I was thinking about that the other day, and, you know, it would definitely hurt to get an arrow shot at you. But a fiery arrow? Ow. I don't want a fiery arrow shot at me, right? Like an arrow would hurt, but man, these Roman soldiers, they would take their arrows and they would dip them in kerosene or some type of flammable liquid. They would light them on fire and they would shoot them at their enemy. I mean, can you imagine a flaming arrow going through you and setting you on fire and burning you alive from the inside out, (laughs) right? You guys aren't too excited about that. Me neither. But here's the thing. The point I'm trying to make is that Satan would love to destroy you from the inside out. He would love to burn down your faith at its core. Now here's a few basic trust issues that I believe Satan likes to attack. I I think Satan likes to attack, to, to, to attack us in the area of fear. Satan knows that we're weak when we fear and that if he can get us to fear, then our faith is more easily compromised. Back in 2002, I gave my life to the Lord. God saved me from um, a a life that was very far from him. And I I hung out with some people that were very far from him. And and so I gave my life to the Lord, but I kept hanging out with those people. They were the only friends I had. And and sadly, I I continued to do some things that I shouldn't have been doing. And and I, I learned something. I learned that in that moment, I had a fear in my life of of not having friends. And Satan took that fear and he used it in my life to the point that I compromised my faith. And so Satan likes to use fear. I also think he likes to use doubt. Satan likes to use a fiery arrow of doubt. And here's the thing about doubt. I believe that doubt makes us vulnerable to put our confidence in things outside of the will of God. Faith, excuse me, doubt makes us vulnerable to put our confidence in things outside of the will of God. For example, if I doubt that God loves me, it makes me more vulnerable to try to find love in someone else besides God. If I'm a brand new Christian and and my life isn't where I think it should be and and I feel like I'm not welcome among other believers, I doubt that I'm welcome, well, then that might make me find acceptance from ungodly people. If I doubt a promise from God's word, that might make me vulnerable to put my faith in empty promises of this world. And so Satan would love to use doubt to attack our faith. Also believes he used confusion. Do you know what I've learned about confusion? I've learned that confusion can lead to disinterest in the thing that you're confused about. For example, at a very young age, math confused me really bad. It confused me so bad that I lost interest in it. And can I just tell you, to this day, true story, I still add and subtract on my fingers. But isn't that so true? Confusion can lead to disinterest in the thing that we're confused about. And so when it comes to the hard things of, uh, of our faith, man, if it's too hard to deal with, if it's too confusing, if we're not getting the answers that we're looking for, we might just give up on it. We might lose interest in it. And Satan would love for you to lose interest in your faith in God. 
And so Paul says, man, we gotta get the shield of faith. We need bold faith in our lives. Romans 5.1 says this. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. And so one of the things I want you to know this morning is that faith is gonna give you peace. I already talked about that, but faith gives you peace. And not only that, but it can also give you joy. And by the way, I'm not talking about happiness because happiness is superficial and circumstantial, right? Happiness comes and goes, but joy, on the other hand, is everlasting, right? Joy is that deep, deep feeling that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter the circumstances, good or bad, God's got this. I'm in a relationship with him. Nobody can take that from me. My future's secure. Why? Because I have faith in God. That gives me joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so faith gives us joy. It gives us security. Listen, when we have faith in Jesus, we have eternal security. And so no matter what happens, you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And some of you are sitting there thinking, man, this is the kind of faith I want. Like, I have faith. I've put my trust in Jesus. But I don't have that kind of faith. Man, how can I get that kind of faith? And one of the things I would tell you is that maybe you just need to start small. Start small. Start in just like one area of your life, man. Maybe, maybe you're in a difficult relationship this morning that you need to get out of to further your relationship with God. Maybe it's a job situation that you're struggling with. And take a step of faith. Maybe it's an area of sin that you know you're dealing with, that you need to quit. But whatever it is, man, just start small and entrust that area of your life to God. So many people believe that, you know, when it comes to faith, it's got to be gargantuan faith or nothing at all. And let me just tell you, it's okay to start small. I mean, think about Paul. If you know much about Paul, you know the story uh, when Jesus appeared to him in a bright light. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, I want you to go to Damascus, and then I will tell you everything that you need to know. Talk about a huge leap of faith, but really it was just a small thing, right? I mean, all he knew was that he needed to put one foot in front of the other and go to this town, Damascus, and then he'd figure everything out. Listen, you don't have to have everything figured out. Just take a small step of faith this morning. Put your trust in God. And see where that takes you. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is ask for help. Some of you are struggling with your faith. Man, you just need to ask for help. What's interesting about a Roman soldier's shield was that they would make these things big enough to not only protect the person who was holding it, but also to protect other people. And so, you know, if, if you were to lose your, your shield or if your shield for whatever reason was too small, then you could jump behind the shield of, of another soldier and, and that would be there to protect you. Man, what a beautiful picture of the relationship that God intends for us to have with one another, right? We should be there for one another. In fact, there's a scripture that I have in my notes here I'm gonna jump to. It's Romans 15.1. It says, we who are strong in the faith should help those who are weak. And so if you're strong in the faith this morning, would you just pray that God would touch somebody's heart to come and ask you for help? And then would you be there for that person? Would you help that person? Would you encourage that person? Here's the bottom line. If you're gonna live the Christian life and fight the good fight and win at this war of freedom, you gotta have strong faith. Now get this. You can't have a shield without a sword, right? The shield defends, but the sword wields. And so let's talk about the sword. Just got a little bit of time left. I wanna talk about the sword and we're gonna go to the helmet of salvation, but man, I love the sword of the spirit. What I find interesting about the sword of the spirit is that it's the only uh, part of the armor that, that's a weapon, that, that's used for you know, offense. All the other armor's defense, and then you have the sword which is for offense, and uh, if you study, uh, 
you know, the, the Roman soldiers, you'll find that, man, they, they always had a sword handy. Their sword was of utmost importance to them. It was their primary uh, weapon for war, and it was always within reach. Now, if you've been coming to church um, for any amount of time, you know that the sword of the Spirit is what? It's the Word of God. I wonder this morning, how many of you are actually in the Word of God? Did you know that God's Word is our source of wisdom and strength for life? And did you know that when we don't have it or when we don't know it, we make ourselves vulnerable to Satan's attacks? Did you know that God's word is our source of encouragement when we go through difficult times? Did you know that it's vital to our spiritual growth and to find comfort in life and guidance for day-to-day right living? Did you know that? And why are you not picking it up? Listen, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, you need the sword of the Spirit in your life, God's word. Romans 15, 4 says, such things were written in the scriptures to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. You see, I know that when I'm down and out over the issues of life, I can turn to God's word for hope. Not only does it give us hope and encouragement, it gives us standards. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, Reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. His word gives us standards to live by. I'm afraid that without it, we're living by our own standards or the standards of our friends or the standards of this world just kind of aimlessly going through life. That's not the life God intended us. Listen, we need the word of God in our lives. It gives us growth. Some of you are spiritually anorexic because you're starving yourself from God's word. I can't say it enough. The Bible is vital to your existence. The Bible is vital to this war of freedom. Stand up, soldier, and take up your sword of the spirit. You need it in your daily life. Come on. It all starts with desire. And you got to desire this thing. I can get up here and I can preach to you till I'm blue in the face. And you can see my love for God's word and my passion for God's word. But let me tell you something. My love and passion for it can't be your love and passion for it. you got to desire it. And if you don't desire it, then you need to get on your face and you need to pray to God that he'll give you a desire for it. And maybe you need to check your life and see what might be choking out your desire for it. Bottom line, man, you got to desire God's word. And then I would encourage you to pick it up. Okay, once you desire it, just pick it up, man. Just designate a time and a place to just pick it up. Does it have to be in the morning? No. Does it have to be at night? No. Does it have to be a certain amount of times a day? No. Just pick it up. Pick a time. Pick a place that's comfortable for you. And then I would say this. Start digging in. And this is different from picking it up, okay? Yeah, desire it. Yeah, pick it up. But then start digging in. And digging in is different. This is where you start researching words, where you start trying to understand concepts and precepts and principles in the Bible. You start asking questions, and you start beginning to wonder and pray and ask God, man, God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do with my life as a result of what I'm reading here? And get into God's word. I'm telling you, you need it in your life. Amen? As Pastor Mike always says, amen or oh me, right? (laughs) All right, I'm going to close with this, the helmet of salvation. So the helmet of salvation, the, 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 the Roman soldier's helmet was vital to his safety during a battle. In fact, a Roman soldier would not go into battle without his helmet. And obviously the, the, the purpose of the helmet is to protect the head. Now, the fact that Paul would use the helmet in correlation with salvation tells me that Paul's concern for us is that Satan wants to get in our heads when it comes to our assurance of salvation. 
And so there's three things I want to talk to you about this morning concerning your salvation. Number one, you need to know this morning that salvation is freedom from your past. Salvation is freedom from your past. Now, you guys understand what a penalty is, right? You take a hockey game, for example. Do we have any hockey fans in the room? All right, two people, great. In a hockey game, if you elbow your opponent in the face, you're going to get sent to the penalty box. Why? Because you broke the rules. The same thing is true spiritually. When we sin, we break God's rules. And so we're in the penalty box, okay? And the penalty box is sort of removal from God's presence, all right? And the reason this happens is because, because of sin, we're unholy and imperfect. And so we can't be in the presence of a holy and perfect God. But here's some good news for you this morning, for those of you who are saved. And by the way, for those of you who are here who are not saved, who are seeking God, please listen to this. This is so important. What you need to know this morning is that since God loves you so much and wants you to be in his presence, he provided you a way out of the penalty box by sending Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for your sins. And listen, the Bible teaches that if you'll repent of breaking God's rules, and if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be set free from the penalty box. That's salvation. Many of you have been set free from the penalty box. Listen to me. If you put your trust in Jesus, you've been set free from your past. Don't let Satan or anyone else try to condemn you for the actions of your past. That stuff's forgiven. There is now, therefore, no condemnation if you are in Christ. Come on. Listen. Not only is salvation freedom from your past, but it's freedom for today. It's freedom from the power of sin. And I know I talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want you to hear it again. Listen, salvation is freedom from the power of sin. But it's very interesting and sad to me that people get set free from the penalty of sin, but then they fall into this trap of believing that when it comes to sin, they can't help it. Let me tell you something. You can help it. Because salvation is freedom from the power of sin over your life. Salvation is freedom from that. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help you overcome sin. Are you going to be perfect? No. But don't buy into the lie that sin has power over you. It doesn't. Romans 6.14 says it. Sin is no longer your master. So listen, salvation's freedom from the power of sin today. Stop living defeated sinful lives embrace the power of the holy spirit inside of you and don't let satan or anyone else tell you otherwise amen, amen. last thing salvation is freedom for the future is freedom from the presence of sin. And so not only does God get us out of the penalty box, not only does he give us power to overcome sin today, but guess what? There's coming a day when there will be no more sin. And that is a promise, and we have hope, and we have a future that is guaranteed. Listen, Romans 8, 24, now that we are saved, now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. Hallelujah. Listen, at the moment of salvation, we're out of the penalty box because of the power of the Spirit. Uh, uh, we can overcome sin. And hashtag, I'm so excited. There's coming a day, folks. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? If you're here today and you have never accepted God's free gift of salvation, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And what you need to know is that God's free gift of salvation is free. Can everybody say free? free? Okay, listen, there's nothing that you can do to earn it, okay? There's no amount of money that you can put in the offering bucket to pay for it. There's no amount of time volunteering in ministry that you can invest to receive it, okay? There's nothing that you can do for it. it, it it's, it's free, okay? What a deal, right? Listen, God's already done all the work to get you out of the penalty box. Okay? He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. Your part is just accepting that all of that is true. Right? It's coming to the place in your life where you understand that you need forgiveness. It's coming to the place in your life where you say, okay, God, I'm a sinner. I'm in the penalty box because of me. 
and I repent of a life lived for myself. And God, I turn to you today. By faith, I accept the free gift. By faith, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead. Is there anybody here that wants to accept the free gift of salvation? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.